Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. Guys, real quick, um, today is a very, very special day. Um, We've got a guest speaker that's going to be breaking bread to us today. This gentleman is not only a doctor, um, he's very well studied, um, and he's, he's a servant of servants. This man grew up a preacher's kid. And how many of you know the pastor's kids? They just, they have some insight that not everybody else has insight to. And so I want you to put your hands together as I bring to the stage my friend, and we are blessed to have him in this church, uh, Dr. Paul Deering. Dr. Paul Deering. It is immensely uh, refreshing to be in this Bethel, this house of God, in this time with you, and to hear it resound with the redeemed of the Lord saying so. It's a tremendous blessing. Beloved of God, Let's get started. Prayer is the best place. Jesus, thank you, Lord. God over all, all wisdom, all power, all might, all righteousness, all truth, all justice, all holiness, beginning, ending, first, last, alpha, and omega, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, almighty God, We welcome you here. And Lord, that's redundant for according to your promise, you are with us in this place. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to minister out of the infinite reservoir of your truth to us this day. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them. Open them anywhere. It's all good. If you want to uh, hang out with us today, though, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Yeah. Hebrews is a a marvelous book. It it has, uh, as all of God's Word does, it has infinite depth. And we uh, would not begin to plumb all of its truth this morning in our allotted time. Check that, okay. Um, 
Hebrews was written, uh, we believe, before the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. We do not know the author. Some have suggested Paul or Barnabas or Apollo. Apollos. Um, I like to think that God took the liberty of directly pinning the letter of Hebrews himself. Now, that's opinion. Let me always be careful to distinguish opinion from Scripture. <laughs> but it would not surprise me if, Paul himself, uh, if God himself pinned the letter to the Hebrews and placed it within the church. At any rate, it doesn't matter, for we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the person of God may com be complete or mature and completely furnished or equipped unto every good work, which is our calling. Um, a brief overview of Hebrews. In this letter, it is directed to uh, Christian Jews, which were the majority of Christians initially, Gentiles coming in by degrees as time marched forward. So most Christians were Jewish. And, you know, if, if we had been alive in that time and had witnessed the formation, the beginning of the church, we would have had a different concept of, of, of the timeline for the church. You know, the last days began with the resurrection of Christ from the grave. Peter said two millennia ago he referenced in these last days. Well, we are still in, quote, these last days. We're two millennia further along. <laughs> in these last days. So if we move ourselves back to that handful of years, a few decades after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, uh, they knew the promise of his return and they felt it would be quite soon because like all of us, they're, they're locked in a timeline uh, where we have a beginning point A and an end point B and that's rather short for each of our lives, as long as they may be. So the Jewish Christians were anticipating the soon return of Christ by their understanding of time. And so when it didn't happen, they began to waver in their faith. Not unlike us, I don't know if any of you would join me in saying, yeah, I've had some wavering in my faith along the way. And so the writer of Hebrews wants to, to reframe for the readers uh, the issue of the clear superiority of Christ to every other option. The queer superiority. So, uh, and I, I obviously can't go into all the scriptures, but I want to give you the brief overview first. Christ is established in, in, by the author of Hebrews as being superior to prophets, angels, Moses, Joshua, the Aaronic priesthood, 
Christ is, is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And he's also called uh, Melchizedek, king of Salem, or king of peace. So Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ. Melchizedek, the person of Melchizedek, had no predecessor and no progeny. No beginning, no end. And Abraham paid tithes to this Melchizedek. So he was a forerunner, a pre-incarnate figure of the Christ. And so Jesus is cast in the priestly order of Melchizedek, having no beginning and no end, and the one who was worthy to receive tithes from the father of the faith, Abraham. So he establishes his royal priesthood as well as being superior to the Aaronic priesthood. In chapters 11 through 13, all that I've discussed to this point was chapters 1 through 10. In chapters 11 through 13, this is where we, we enter the hallway of faith. And faith, as you're going to see in this, is the antidote for the problems that Hebrews enumerates in the previous chapters of the book. Five warnings Hebrews gives to us. But then he brings us full circle starting in chapter 11 by taking us through the hallway of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen or the assurance of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. It seems almost interchangeable. At any rate, what gives me a better handle on faith is to um, think of it in terms of it being a submitted belief. Submitted belief. You know, we believe in a, a lot of things. Oh, I believe that. I believe that. Oh, sure, I believe that. But Submitted belief takes belief to another level. Um, the engine of submission, what drives submission is trust. We, we don't submit to things we don't have trust in. Um, Jesus has proven himself trustworthy. If you're like me, you still vacillate about this thing of trust. And I think the warnings of, of Hebrews um, help put us in touch with that issue and how to avoid it. The um, first warning in Hebrews is against neglect. And it's in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. We read, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward or penalty in this case, 
How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So he first cautions us in Hebrews to not neglect the immense gift that salvation represents. Um, one way in which we do this is, is a problem in the early Jewish Christian community and part of the reason for the pinning of this letter, and that was they were digressing from salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And they were developing this um, philosophy, if you will, of Jesus plus. Jesus plus. And so that resonates as much with us today as it did with Jewish Christians. Because you tell me if, if, if I'm somehow odd in this way, but it's been my experience that it's very easy for me to slip into a Jesus plus theology. Um, Jesus plus good health. If my health is taken, do I renounce Christ? Jesus plus financial security. If my finances go on the rocks, do I renounce Christ? Jesus plus position. Jesus plus a new C8 Corvette. Jesus plus the list is endless, isn't it? But the distractions that we navigate in this life are, are always pulling at us to slip from the doctrinal stance we're called to and accept and pursue Jesus plus fill in the blank. The writer of Hebrews frames up so well for us that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. He is all-sufficient at all times. He is God. The, um, the second uh, warning in Hebrews is against unbelief. And I'm going to go to the third chapter and read a few passages, starting with uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Now, the, the setting here is he's referring back to the children of Israel before they've entered the promised land. And you can read about what he's referencing here in the 14th chapter of Judges. We won't, uh, I'm sorry, the 14th chapter of Numbers. We won't reference that today, but reading, starting at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. 
So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Brethren, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And then moving on, verses 13 and 14. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. Unbelief is caused uh, by a hardened heart, which is caused by the deceitfulness of sin. The ultimate extension of that is a condition called apostasy, or departing from the living God. We're going to see more of this later on, but... Let me bring to the table now um, something that's incredibly important in Scripture. And that is that um, you are eternally secure in salvation from God's side of the ledger. Okay? God will never abandon you. He will never turn his face from you. When you simply come to him asking him to forgive your sins and save you, he is the God who cannot lie. He cannot lie. Not now, not ever. You are eternally secure having come to Christ and having received the sacrifice of his blood for the expiation or the doing away with of your sin and mine. So, with that firmly and immutably in place, let's look now at the other side of the ledger. The writer of Hebrews warns, and we're going to go into more of this a bit later in this. He warns us that it is possible for us to become apostate. In other words, to renounce our salvation from our side of the ledger. Never from God's side. Okay? So, I want to say that to say this. It is incredibly important how we treat the blood of Christ. We are not free to be casual about what it is that was done for us at the cross. And we are not free to, under the influence of the deceitfulness of sin, and how many of us have committed sin since we were saved? John the Elder says in his letters, I would that you wouldn't sin, <laughs> but if you do, 
you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the faithful. And he goes on to say that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, is it possible that we can live above sin? Yes. If I gave any other answer to that, I would not be true to Scripture. Now, are there people who are living above sin? I don't know. I, I know that since coming in Christ, I have not lived above sin very consistently. But I always enjoy His forgiveness when I bring that to Him. And so the, the road to apostasy from salvation doesn't occur overnight, I, I don't believe. Now, this is opinion, okay? I don't believe that happens overnight, but we, we listen to the siren song of the devil at some point in some dimension of our life. And we buy into what he's dangling before us. And it can be fill in the blank. There are at least 50,000 options. But common to all of those options is that what he's offering us is proscribed by the contents of this book. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Our protection. <laughs> Anytime Satan dangles something before our attention is being immersed in the Word of God. There is no substitute for this book of books and its contents. We need this as a steady, pervasive part of our diet in life. So we start down the pathway of the deceitfulness of sin when first of all this is lacking in our life. Hebrews tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is and so much more so as you see the day approaching. It is real important what we do in our corporate worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our presence here for that is of paramount importance. If we think that two millennia, ago, two millennia ago, Peter was correct when he said, in these last days, well, we are two millennia further along in these last days. I would suggest that the day is approaching. More so than perhaps ever. When we look around, I think we probably all are astonished by the insanity we see being given play in our culture. This country birthed by the Lord that we call America. I never thought 
at 67 years that I would see an America that looked like this. You know, we are kind of raised in a cultural mindset that tomorrow will always be better. The ascent of man, if you will. Man is getting better. We're becoming more noble, more virtuous, more technologically accomplished. On and on it goes. I would argue against that. I would argue that on the timeline, every person, every church, every community, every nation has tipping points. And there are degrees, there are magnitudes of a tipping point, again, for a person's life, a church, a community, a city, a nation, which if they go over that point, they don't recover themselves. I think if you look at the issue just purely in the natural, if we look at the history of free nations on planet Earth, we're getting into very rarefied atmosphere in America with respect to our durability. We're 200, what would it be now, 250-something years old or whatnot? It's hard to find uh, true democratic republics in the history of the world that last much beyond that. Will America go that way? I don't know. But this I do know. Our grasp on Jesus can't be Jesus plus America either as being the reason that we stay in Christ. If we lose America, and you could literally lose America in a very, a shockingly short span of time, that cannot shake us. Is my exit strategy uh, Jesus plus an exit from really having to pay the supreme price? I mean, um, will I go to death speaking his praises and refusing to renounce him? Can you imagine an America in which that could come? I can. I would suggest we're not that far from it. The jury is still out, the jury of one God. So, again, the letter cautions us against adopting any theology for our lives that includes Jesus plus anything else. Because everything else will fail. Only Jesus remains. The... Uh, Third warning is against persistent immaturity. Persistent immaturity. Chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. 
But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I would suggest the platform for use is the Word of God and getting our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And then moving on into chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, that's salvation through the blood of Jesus, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit who indwells us as the paraclete, the comforter, the helper sent by Jesus to us by his promise in the Gospel of John and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. This warning is probably the most strident of the five for it warns us of the consequences of disregard of what it is for what the Lord has done for each of us and being trapped in the deceitfulness of sin and walking away from Christ. So can you dash your salvation on the rocks? Yes, you can. God forbid that any of us would go down that pathway. And it is absolutely unnecessary for you to do so. Jesus is always there for you. Anytime we fail in our Christian walk, we confess and repent and return to him rejoicing in his full continuing forgiveness. Repentance has become a bad word in elements of the Christian church for we immediately attach to it a pejorative sense or a punishing sense. But the Greek for repentance is metanaeo, metanaeo, metanaeo. And it means a number of things. The one that really captivates me is this, a return to the place of original design. A return to the place of original design. God did not design us to be sinners. <laughs> so repentance is us agreeing with God about what it is that we've done, receiving his forgiveness. And you'll note in the uh, annals of, of the hall of faith that the writer of Hebrews takes you through, he talks about all these great victories of faith in the lives of all these saints of God all through the ages of the church. But never once does he mention any of their failings or their sins. Why? Because he remembers their sins no more. 
They are forgiven. They are forgiven. You know, if, if you or I take a sin to God, we're still kind of ruminating about it. It's been forgiven. You know, he has no idea what you're talking about. So don't waste his time with that. He has no record. If, if you are God, and thank God, none of us are God, for it's only God that should be God. If you are God, nothing is impossible for you. If you choose to forget, you forget. Never to remember. Never to bring it against you. We are our own worst enemy when it comes to moving past our sin. God bless us to get better in that dimension and to see this as he truly sees it. I heard a minister not long ago, oh, we're down to five minutes. I heard a minister not long ago, he, he said this, or he asked this question of the people he was speaking to. He said, did God punish Jesus enough for sin? This is not a trick question. <laughs> yes! God punished Jesus enough for sin. Almighty, eternal, infinite God who made the... Oh, uh, this book is an exercise in the power of understatement. Let me, <laughs> let me read for you here. We're, we're, we're talking, we're framing up the infinity of God and his infinite power. We're going back to Genesis 1.16. Okay? Now, I just watched a, a program on Nova about stars. And, you know, we are blessed with the technological advances God has gifted us at this day and time we have the Hubble Space Telescope and we are seeing expanses in the universe and things in the universe we never could have imagined and they estimate on this NOVA program they said you know by virtue of how we're able to image the universe now and investigate it it appears that a conservative estimate is that the universe contains at least a billion trillion stars. A billion trillion stars. There are billions in our inauspicious little galaxy called the Milky Way. And our little star, the sun, is one of the most minor of those stars. And also, with all of our investigations to date, we've sent nine rovers to Mars, every one of them a raging success. And we've sent probes out now past Pluto. And with all our observation of the heavens, we haven't found anything like 
God's good earth. Nothing. So reading in Genesis 1.16, Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And then almost as a parenthetical statement, he says these five words. He made the stars also. A billion trillion. And he named every one of them. Every one of them. And he's managing every prayer, every concern, every plea from just shy of eight billion people right now. And it's no sweat to him. We serve the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. There isn't anything in the same class. And yet he gives us this immense power to reject him. We are incredibly powerful with God. So it's so important that in the process of our faith, we stay submitted. We stay humble. We understand our limitations. We look to the one who is all capable for every issue of our life. He literally grants us our next heartbeat and our next breath. At some point, he will withdraw that gift and we will die. And then we will stand before him. And for the believer, that physical death is almost an imperceptible bump in the road, if you will. He will go through that with you. He's been there. There are only two examples that haven't tasted physical death. Elijah and Enoch. Why? I have no idea. But it pleased the Lord that those two out of all humanity, I mean, even Lazarus went on to die again. You understand that? Raised him from the dead. He said, this is done for the glory of God. You know, it, uh, Lazarus got benefit from it, but Lazarus went on to have a natural death. But those two men never tasted death. The rest of us, unless the Lord returns first, and he will, the timing is his, though not even the Son knows. Only the Father knows the time of that. So most likely, we will each and all in this room see physical death. Now, there's a wonderful corollary to that. You know, a lot of people live in terms of, oh, I hope Jesus returns soon and, you know, I don't have to go through this thing called death and all. And that's the second coming of Christ to the earth, his, his return. But I can tell any one of you and all of you and be accurate within a few decades of time when the second coming of Christ is for you. 
Because at our death, we are absent from the flesh and with the Lord. So, in the best of estimates, for me personally, my father died at just under 98 years of age. I'm 67. In 30 years' time, or maybe before the day's out, I will experience a second coming of Christ. Okay? So be refreshed in that truth. This gets, this gets really good, folks. The deeper we go. Okay, so, oh my, we're two minutes over. Okay, we're stopping now. And... Um, We'll save the rest. If it pleases the pastor, we'll save the rest for a later time, okay? Again, there is no end to what we uncover of the mysteries of God as we plumb the depths of His Word. I want to leave you with this. This is the benediction of the book of Hebrews. And I want to speak this over you. I'm going to chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you and the Lord bless you. Church, let's put our hands together one more time. Was that fantastic or what? Wow. This is what I encourage you real quick. I encourage you sometime this week, go back and re-listen to that because there's so many just valuable statements and things that were shared in that. The other thing that I just want to encourage you to do is just to realize that you have been given today. You are here today. And I love how he framed that, that, that uh, the second coming of Christ is there whenever we breathe our last breath here and we're absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Like you've been given today and I just have to, I have to hit on this just real quick. It's possible that there may be some here today that, that you're like, you know what? I don't even know why I'm here. I've been feeling a tug on my, on my heart and I feel like God's really been revealing himself to me. But if I was going to be honest, like I've still just been living for myself. And I want you to know that you can make a decision today to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your personal Savior. You can, you can choose today to, to walk out that repentance, that about face. You've been walking away from the Lord and now you're returning back to Him. And you know how you do that? You do that just by simply believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus I believe in you and I receive you and I want you to know that you can do that right now like your name 
just through your belief and your confession of faith you're asking Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins he is faithful and just to do that for you right now so if you would like to make that decision today I want you just to raise your hand this morning you want to make that decision right here awesome thank you is there anybody else all the way up top thank you sir I see you is there anybody else this morning all the way right back here on the left hand side in this right back over here Mike thank you so much for that is there anybody else over here on the right awesome awesome thank you guys right right here amen I'm telling you, the best decision you can ever make, and not only do we see that here, which we celebrate with you, but I'm telling you, the conviction, the move in your heart, Jesus using the word of the Lord that the Bible says will not return void, I want you to know this, that God sees that. God sees that decision that you've made. And I want to just ask one more question. This last question is this, that if you have found yourself uh, Dr. Paul talked about a hardened heart, a hardened heart that comes whenever we commit sin. And so it's very possible. In fact, I've been there before in my, in my own walk with God that, that my heart has become less and less pliable because of undealt with sin in my life. And if you have something in your life that you've just kind of been holding on to, maybe it's the, uh, the inability to forgive yourself. I don't know. But if you want to if you want to receive forgiveness for that and, and renewal for that and a, rest, a restoration for that, you just say, you know what, I want God to come in and just make my heart pliable once again. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand this morning. You want to get that dealt with all over the place, all over the place. Thank you, Lord. Right now, I want everybody in the house just to stand to your feet and we're going to pray. And I want you to make this prayer your own. But God, we thank you for this incredible word today. This word of life. This word of life, this word of truth, this word of love. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. And right now, God, we give our lives to you. I do believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the only begotten of the Father and he lived a sinless life. He was born of a virgin Mary and he died on a cross on a tree for me and for every single person in this room and in this world that would receive him today God we ask you to forgive us of our sins and just as Dr. Paul talked about today how how whenever we ask that and we mean it like we really mean it that you do it immediately you know why because your word is true so God we receive forgiveness of our sins right now and Lord, now we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would also enable us to forgive ourselves. God, I know this, that there's many people in this room right now that have had a hard time forgiving themselves. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a work, that you would just bring that full circle. Just like you told me years and years ago, Travis, if I have forgiven you, then who are you to hold yourself to that sin still if I've forgiven you why are you elevating your opinion above this above my own and I just pray in Jesus name for freedom and liberty and life and love God and I pray that we would just be sold out for you God make our hearts pliable and mendable God and Lord give us compassion
compassion and let us see others as you see them. Today, Lord, we confess our faith to you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the life that you've given that we may live. And today we choose to live and we pray these things in Jesus name. And everybody in the house said, amen. Let's give the Lord a shout and a hand clap, Pastor Matt. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.